Hi, this is Tokyo U.S. Brand Manager Ian Harvey. I'm here with David Norris. David has 10 top 30 World Cup, World Championship, and Olympic individual finishes. <clears throat> He's the 2016 American Berkebiner champion. He's also been one of our top two distance men for the last four years anyway. David also got COVID-19 in November and recovered well, but missed a lot of training. This interview was to catch up with him after the Lati Finland and Falun Sweden World Cup events from the past two weekends and to see what is coming up. So David, thank you very much for being with me. Where are you now and when did you travel from Falun? Um, so I'm in Davos, Switzerland now, and we came here on, on Monday after Falun. Cool. Is my internet okay? Yeah. yeah, I just wanted to move the microphone a little closer. So your first race in Lati was at the 30K Skiathlon, which was, as usual, a master 15K classic with a technique and equipment transition zone followed by 15Ks of skating. Um, of all the races, you know, the longer the race, the better it is for you. So that's that was your obvious best opportunity to, to pull a race. Unfortunately, it was your first race after coming off of COVID and coming to the World Cup. Um, but of course, you, you did quite well. The classic and skate legs were done on different loops of the Lati Trail Network. Was the snow fast and how difficult was the classic course? Um, yeah, the conditions were pretty quick. It was like 33 degrees, kind of rain misting, but but like firm trails. Um, Lati Classic course is kind of just like steep, steep hills and you can glide quite a ways up them. So so even though they're long and steep, they're really, they're not that bad. Um, but I, I definitely started struggling kind of midway through the classic with just like staying, like being able to kick my skis, even though my skis were perfect. It was just like, you get floppy and get tired. So a bit of running outside the tracks by the end. So one reason I asked about the course and the conditions is the times were really fast and I'm sure the pace was fast, but the men's pack was pretty bunched up and the times were super fast. Gus was thinking perhaps the course was short on the classic side. Did mm -hmm. you have any thoughts on that? Um, that that's what I think Grover had said that because then we used the same course in the relay. And so when they said we were going to do a seven and a half, they said, Grover has said it's actually more like a 6.8. Hmm. And um and the times were really fast. And then on that course, the draft effect is pretty killer. So it would probably make sense too with the bunching. Yeah. So you went through your 15K classic in 3326, which is the in the first half of the 30k skiathlon, which is darn fast, you know, for a a, a difficult yeah. course in, in a 30k. So that's one thing that I was thinking about. Despite the very high speed the men's field was packed together, just before the transition zone, you were in 39th place, 49 seconds behind the lead. So, you know, about a, a skier per second. So talk about the classic leg. You lost contact um, pretty early on, which was surprising to me. Yeah, I was kind of just dangling in the back and um, think it was – Oh, is it, this is a four lap, four lap course. Is that right? Or five lap? 
five and um, six six or six laps. Not, okay, in the classic race only though, it was it was four laps I think for the classic and then four laps in the skate, I think is right. And so for the second and third lap of the classic course, there were sprint bonuses, and on the first sprint bonus, you know, there's kind of a pace acceleration, and I, I, I was at the back of the pack. So then you feel the stretch and like kind of the slinky effect of the pack. And so then from then on, I was kind of on the tail end, just like still with the lead group, but not, not like in the mix so much. And then the next lap around was another sprint bonus. And I was just enough off that when that pace change happened and the pack kind of stretched out, I ended up in a group of maybe like, like eight guys who had all missed it. And then at, at that point, once you're kind of out of the pack, you start bleeding time. And, um, but I, so we had another like 2K to go for the last lap. And I was with Martin Ninget, the who's like gotten top fives on World Cup. And I, I kind of figured like his skis were, didn't look very good. He was slipping a lot. So I, I just figured, like conserve energy and try to transition with him and then chase, like just follow him in the skate. And uh, so then when I came into the transition zone, uh, I guess in 39th, he was like 40th or 38th. And um, in the first like 2K of the skate, I followed him and we passed like five guys like in the first 2K of the skate. And then he, he pulled ahead and actually – uh, dropped me and caught Scott and Gus and ended up the, I think he was one place ahead of Gus yeah. in his finish for the day. And I didn't, I couldn't hang with him, but I hung, I, I caught up with some other guys and then had a three-way sprint for 30th with, uh, and the Finnish guy ended up taking the 30th position, I think, but, but it was, it was close. <laughs> so, so I, I personally think, I mean, you were 32nd, you had, um, you were 256 behind Emil Iverson who won, but I mean, that's a fantastic, it was your first World Cup of the year, 32nd under any circumstances is in a 30K, you know, historically United States, that's one of our better results historically, mm -hmm. you know, just, um, yeah. but, but to build on that, I had a question that was, you didn't race any World Cups until now, that affected your start position greatly in a, in a pack like that, in a course, you know, in a, in a situation like that, the start number can really, you know, if you started number 20 or something, I think it would have been a much different experience than starting in around 60th. Do yeah. You, do you think that had a, you know, cause the accordion effect is really strong in Lati in the classic mm -hmm. race. Do you think that had a, a strong effect on your race? You know, it's, it's difficult to move up and, and, and to, all those accelerations just to stay with the pack is difficult. Yeah, I and Lottie, there it seems like there's a lot of space on the course, and like in that particular race, I I wouldn't, I don't think my bib was any excuse for falling off the lead group. Like probably a K or two before I fell off the lead group, I was next to Scott and Gus, because um, they they had like there was a one I don't know Scott and Gus both kind of moved forward and backwards through the pack and I just kind of stayed towards the end but it was kind of funny you know like I'd see Gus or Scott towards the front of the pack and then like a hill or two later they were back next to me and then they kind of 
work their way back in. So I don't, I don't think it was the, the placement wasn't a, an excuse. And I, I think if anything, I was kind of like hanging on in the back and then I maybe just wasn't as like focused or also having it be my first world cup. I like, I think I was maybe just kind of like stoked to be there versus being like, normally I'd be like, I, I need to get out of here. I need to get into like 20th. Cause I know if you're on the tail end of that lead group, you're usually the first guy to pop off the back and you don't have anyone to kind of like suck you along. And um, I think a little bit of not racing earlier in the season, I was just kind of like, I don't know, like complacent, not, not as focused. So yeah, but, but in Falun, the bid placement totally was a bummer because in, in the like 1K mark, there was a 30 person crash and, and Scott, me and Adam Martin were all piled up in that. So, so we'll talk about that in a second. But let's get back to Lati. Your skate <laughs> portion of the race was substantially slower than the classic, and I think that's that it was the same with Gus and the same with the leaders. So I think it's got to do with maybe the skate side was a little bit more difficult, and I think there was a discrepancy in the course length. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you talked about um, following Martin for as much as you could, and then. Um, and skiing decently but I had a comment and that is um, Gus finished extremely well in the skiathlon finish coming through the lot the last about k and a half his his last approximate k and a half was the fourth fastest in the race you probably didn't have this information but um, you lost approximately eight seconds to Gus in the last basically on that long downhill going in a lot to mm-hmm. corner and then from there to the finish he, he closed extremely well. Your, your last K and a half was about proportionate to your finish place position, mm-hmm. but it's still interesting. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Well, um, Martin, would have, Martin was third fastest. Yeah. That would make sense. Cause I mean, at that point in the race, you're just kind of, when you have one K left, you're kind of just racing the guys next yeah. to you. And I think they were maybe a pack of like eight or something. So they were really charging. And I, I was sitting behind the, I was sitting behind 30th place and 31st place. So I was, I was trying to like be in position just to like do my best to slingshot on the final turn. And then I actually took the turn horribly and kind of got myself pinched out. <laughs> but, you took it better than uh, Simon Hickstead Kruger did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I stayed on my feet. So. <laughs> hey, um, it seems like in a situation, it seems like you know you're a veteran athlete coming to the World Cup. You're you're got an eye on World Championships. You were sick this fall. It seems like um, with a young athlete, people are like, oh, you know, gain experience and make sure you're having fun. But with you, it's like, no, 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 no. You got this is a business trip. You got to get there and accomplish your goal you know it's a whole different mentality i think that you might even afford yourself much less everyone else is kind of like no 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 forget experience forget having fun forget any kind of leeway have you been able to as important as that race was to you are you able to kind of allow yourself to work into the season you know once you get there you know what i mean yeah um i mean yeah i I think so like getting 32nd, I was happy with that. And, yeah. um, 
because I really didn't know where my shape was. You know, I, I was like, maybe I'll get lapped out, but I think I'm in good shape. But um, so once that race was over, then moving on to like Falun, it was like all of a sudden it was business and my expectations were returned right back to like where I kind of left off last season. And so like, like kind of, you know, where I, I was aiming for like top twenties in Falun. And so to fall short of that was frustrating, but then at the same time, I'm, I'm trying to like stay positive and, you know, remind myself that that's like my sixth race of the year. And, and realistically, like, to have a 32nd and a 40th, if that was like Ruka and Trondheim or Ruka and Davos, you know, I'd still be very optimistic about the season moving forward. It's just, it's February now. So it's a little more crunch time. So, yeah. So that's kind of um, like what I was talking about, you know, yeah, difficult I but, think for you to afford yourself a little bit of, you know, getting your legs under you. Like when we talked before the races, you were talking about, I think you think you'll have two good race weekends and then you'll absorb that much like hard training. And then you'd be in really good form after that. And it was like, okay. But the reality mm -hmm. is you needed to have good results in order to have a season after that. So, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a difficult situation to be in to allow yourself enjoyment of the sport and of the experience, you know, enjoy the journey kind of stuff. While mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, you, you got some hardcore goals here. You've worked hard, you know, so it's, it's a tricky predicament. To yeah. Be. Okay. So yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about the relay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how, I don't know. You broke a pole about 400 meters in. No, uh, like, like two and two and a half K in. Really? In the relay. Yeah. Oh man. I, so, I, I fast forwarded. I, I must've thought it was the first lap. It was the second lap. Um, but yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what, how it happened. I looked at it like four times. Can you tell me, tell us what happened? Yeah, it was, um, like coming into the stadium, the whole pack, you know, like kind of bunched together again. And the guy, the guy behind me had good skis and was coming up on me. And I think instead of taking the track next to me or just standing up and like, you know, falling in behind me, he kind of straddled my, mm. he went outside the track and straddled my pole. And so my first pole plant just went straight into his leg and it snapped my pole. And then because of TV, like where all the cameras are located, they don't let coaches in the stadium. And so I had to ski the whole stadium arc, like all the way back to the sprint hill with one arm or like one pole. And it's pretty high speed double pull there. So then like that kind of created my initial gap to the leaders. And then, uh, yeah. And then I got a pole with like a horrible Bathlon strap and struggled with that. And it just, I mean, it was kind of a, it was a bummer because it's a relay and then it led to the whole team skiing by themselves. But, um, I actually like, I felt pretty good that day. So it wasn't, it's not all for loss, but I think like, I think we have a good chance of having a strong men's relay. It's just like need things to work out. Yeah, I agree for sure. So yeah. the, there was some positive about that. It seemed like after you broke your pole and get, get the pole, you know, eventually the right pole, you, you caught that Canadian who was a bit ahead of you and, and put an additional 44 seconds on it. 
And it seems to me, you know, being a much more endurance oriented guy, if you can crank out a super fast, let's say 5k, it looks good for 30k, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, how'd you, so how'd you feel? And you put yourself in a fight or flight type situation where you had to really perform. How'd you feel for after you got your pole replaced and, and you were all on your own, you know? Um, I, well, I think when I got, got a replacement pole, then for like a K and a half, I put the hammer down and did my best to see if I could close the gap and catch on to people. And then I passed the Canadian and then was kind of in no man's land. And then definitely suffered for making that one K, you know, three K into the race to kind of go max effort to see if you could catch back on. So I definitely paid for that. And then, you know, just kind of skied steady to the finish, but, but it, it was, yeah, it was kind of just unlucky, I think. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not asking you so much about the result, but rather you put yourself in a position to see what kind of fitness you had and how you felt. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was, well, yeah. And I was really, I was pleasantly surprised that cause I've never been the first leg of a relay. I was like, oh, you know, like seven and a half K, like I wonder if it's just going to go out so fast, but, uh, coming in at two and a half K, I was, I was like really stoked that it aerobically hadn't been that tough. Like it was pretty chill. And I was kind of like assuming, you know, the fireworks were going to get set off eventually, you know, between like Norway and Russia, but uh, at least through two and a half K is pretty, pretty relaxed. So cool. But Hey, I wanted to ask you about your opinion of what happened at the end of the race between Johnny Mecky and Alexander Bolshinov. Did you happen to see that? I know you looked at it on the internet, I'm sure, a bunch, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was kind of like from a distance, um, cooling down on the classic course and actually saw it sort of like, but yeah, I just think it's like the poor sportsmanship stinks, but I don't know, like they're going to do what they're going to do and seems like it brought a bunch of attention to the sport, you know, yeah. like people that haven't been following skiing have texted me and asked me if I was there and stuff. So the finish line, the finish stretch in Lati, I think is, it lends itself to situations like this. Oftentimes a finish stretch yeah. will be a super long straightaway or it'll be a horseshoe turn mm-hmm. and then a super long straightaway where in a horseshoe turn, it's obvious you're going to outside inside and then come straight out of it but that one in Lati, it's normal to take the inside and then drift to the outside obviously johnny yeah. was was also having some gamesmanship but what did you think about how he skied that finish if if bullshit hadn't reacted the way he had do you think the fins should have been disqualified or punished for that or do you think it was just smart skiing um I mean, from the best I could see, like watching it live, and I, I saw it more head-on, which I like. I haven't still seen it on YouTube as a head-on, but I think um, Mackie, the Finnish guy, came into the. Um, I think he came into the whiskers. He came into the far right whiskers, like entered that lane, and then Bolshi tried to pass him inside that same lane. And so at that point, 
I don't think, I don't know. I don't think you can share lanes necessarily. So if you're ahead of the guy, you can pinch him out. Yeah, for sure. And, um, so I, um, um, I don't think Yoni Mackey, uh, he didn't cross any whiskers to cut off Bolshanov. Yeah. So I think as the rules go, it's clean. Um, I don't know. It seemed like he had the speed too. Like he maybe could have just won without any of that confusion, but I don't know. Um, I don't think, yeah, I think most of us would do the same thing in that same, that, in that scenario. Yeah, for sure. My question was if Mickey was far enough ahead of Bolshinov to skeet over his skis or not, you know, when you're in front, you've got the right away and the guy behind you, it's up to him to get around you. But that was yeah. my only question is because, it seemed like he needed maybe another couple feet to, to make such a bold move like that. But I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. That's, it's been a discussion, you know, like at the dinner table with some of us, you know, like Scott, Scott thinks uh, more like it was a bad move by Finland. And my interpretation is like the Finn entered the, the finishing lane ahead so then it's his lane to do with it as he wants like i feel like if you follow someone into a lane you kind of have to make sure you don't touch the guy who is in the lane ahead of you i yeah, don't I know <laughs> on that it's, it's been a fun discussion yeah for sure and, and, and uh, i see what I, we had the same discussion my wife was um on one end and my, i was on the other end of the of the opinion of course it really what really matters is like, did Mecky impede Bolshinov before the whiskers to the point where he skied over his ski, in my opinion, before the whisker? And in my opinion, if that had happened on the course, he would have gotten at least a yellow card without right. the whiskers because it happened before the whiskers. But anyway, it was an interesting thing to, and, and clearly the way yeah. Bolshinov handled it afterwards made it um, irrelevant. I mean, they, in my opinion, they should have yeah. been disqualified, and I think he should have been sent home, but whatever. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah, it was, and that's a good point, like, what happened before the whiskers, and in all the replays, I feel like I can't really even see the whiskers, so. Well, there's a ton <laughs> of them know. out there, so and some of them you can see pretty clearly. Yeah. Okay, um, let's get back to, get back to your races. Um, cool. So, you got, to, you got the Falloon for three days of racing. Mm -hmm. The first race in Falloon was a 15K freestyle individual start. Can you describe the conditions in the course? uh it was super cold and the snow is kind of like dry dry hard um and the course is actually it's pretty it's pretty flat flowing like punchy skiing with one kind of one main climb but it, it's pretty fast and flowing um so what's the main climb you're talking about uh the murderbachen hill and so what about the, what do you, yeah what do you think about the start hill you know, that's a pretty gradual hill for a couple Ks anyway. Is that a mm -hmm. tricky one to navigate when you're coming out of the start pan and you're thinking, okay, pacing and the first while is this long <laughs> gradual uphill? Uh, yeah, I think for me, it's, it's the, that's the, like the biggest challenge midway through the race. Cause you, you, I think in that course, the, the times made and all that, kind of gradual terrain and so leaving the stadium and um like like everything between 
everything that's not murder Bakken, but the main climb, that's where the time's really made. And um, skiing the stadium, there's a lot of seconds there. And then, yeah. and then for me, I, I really did struggle with the stadium hills and leaving the stadium because they're, if you're skiing well, you're V2ing them. But if you get tired, if you kind of downshift to V1, then you're bleeding time. And um, like in my last lap, I was, I was struggling where I'd like throw in a few V1s and then force the V2 back. But like in previous years in Falun, when I've skied my best, I like hardly V1 on that course. Mm-hmm. You, Cause you could just, the hills are short enough and kind of punchy enough that you can just power over and carry your momentum. So um, yeah, it was, it was, those are the toughest hills to me. Yeah, for sure. That's what that's and and starting on that also pacing wise, you know, there's an estimation of your fitness, you know, kind of a commitment you have to make or not make that can have Mm -hmm. some impact in your race, of course. So your splits were consistent. You stayed around 40th place throughout the entire race. You ended up in 40th place, but 239 behind Alexander Boshinov who won. Have you ever, you got any more thoughts on the race? Um, I, I feel like I went out really controlled and then kind of just had the intentions of like in the, in the kind of second and third lap starting to just really work the flats and gradual terrain. And like, I feel like that, that kind of that pace increase never happened. Like I was kind of, I hate to say where you're, where you say you're stuck, you know, like, like maybe I could do 20 K at that exact same pace, but I don't feel like I could have done that same 15 K faster on that morning. Um, like I was very comfortable skiing at the pace I was skiing at, but I, I knew where to make time. And when I tried to, it just, I was just struggling. So, and Kruger came by me and I skied with him for like 500 meters and it was pretty predictable, like where, where he was skiing well, those were the spots where I knew I needed to be skiing well. And he put like so much time into me, you know? So it wasn't really surprising that two and a half minutes when got away from me, you know, from yeah. Bolshinov and Kruger. Cool. So your last race in Falun was a 15 K classic mass start. Before we start talking about the race too much, I want to know we I've seen quite a few mass starts in Falun and the course lends itself to a lot of crashes. You know, you got some downhills with some tight <clears throat> high speed and there's a lot of twisty turning stuff. Mm-hmm. Were you well prepared in your head for, for, did you expect crashes? Did you expect as much carnage as there was, or was this expe- especially bad? Um, I think it was, I mean, it is especially bad, I suppose, you know, yeah. like, I mean, with the, with the, like how bad Andrew Young was hurt. Um, but, but yeah, you, it was kind of predictable that there's going to be some carnage out there and Falun and most world cup courses, because there's so much man-made snow, like the, the courses can be crazy nice all week. And then on race day, it's like every turn has um, been kind of like slipped down to ice because a lot of people slide the turns, like they yeah. slide then step. And uh, so like 
And so it was kind of predictable that the turns were going to be tricky and the pack was going to be tight. Um, but then, you know, the biggest crash of the day was in a spot that shouldn't have been tricky at all. Yeah. So, so you had start number 64, which is significant. Um, and you ended up finishing 60 at 220 behind Alexander Bolshinov who won again. Again, your pacing stayed quite steady. You were between 52nd and 67th the entire race. Can you talk about your race and uh, the crash, obviously, that affected your race? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, so the start went out good, and actually I was on the outside track and was able to move up a little bit. And then, uh, like, I don't know, prior to five minutes into the race, like somewhere one, one and a half K there's, there was a crash and then it happened on like the right side of the course where I was and, um, there was nowhere to go just like skis and people like laid out everywhere. And my reaction was to like, try to keep my skis above the pile. So I basically kind of like jumped into the pile. <laughs> like I did a, as much of a speed check as I could and just leapt in. And um, kind of as I was on like my hands and knees starting to get up, I saw it was like dominoes where there was a lane on the left side where people were kind of slipping through. And then one person went down and it was just one guy after another, uh, just stacking up. And it turns out that Scott Patterson was, I think like the first guy of that dominoes and he got squashed by a bunch of people. And so, so he actually got hurt back and stuff from this accident, but, but, and yeah. And Adam Martin was also in the fall and, um, but that happened like one K or so. And I got up, nothing was broken. And like me and it was kind of just like guys trickling by. So I, I, it seemed like maybe 30 people went down in it or at least got stuck in that pinch point and I got up and headed up murder and, and could see the lead pack and kind of similar to the the relay and uh Lottie like I pushed real hard for like a k and a half or 2k and there was a few guys with me like a Swiss guy that was doing the same thing and his coach was yelling at him that um that the pace of, like he was like the pace in the front's not it's not jamming. So you can, you know, re rejoin with the leaders, but like, I don't think anyone in that crash actually got back with the leaders. So it kind of just created like a, our own race in the back, I thought. And um, yeah, so it was kind of a bummer to have, have the, you know, you're, you're in Falun all week anticipating this race and like three and a half minutes in you're just, you know, <laughs> doing like pickup sticks trying to get get your get out from under the pile but right. i don't know it, it, it worked out all right sure well, let's look at the race regardless you still skied to 15k um can you say that you did anything especially well or is there anything you could have done better <clears throat> um i mean i don't know it was it was like we still went really hard and um, it was interesting to see like, like there'd be like, I felt pretty good in like the, the kind of false slats, double pulling, 
that kind of terrain. And then like, there was, there was some terrain where like I was the only guy coming out of the tracks and running, but my skis were definitely good enough. Like I'm struggling to make my skis kick and they're, the skis are good and they're, they're waxed well. So I think a little bit is that just like getting, like feeling my skis or, um, my legs are kind of flat. Like, I, I don't feel like I have that pop to make them set. And that's something I felt in Lati and I definitely felt it in Falun and like over the tops of the hills I was definitely struggling with the guys around me. So, um, I don't know. It's some takeaways from that for sure. Got some time now to, to yeah. work on that. So looking at the, the past two weekends, and considering what you said before the last two weekends about, you know, you get into four good race efforts and then absorb that. And um, you think you'd be in quite good form, hoping, do you, do you think that you're looking forward? You're, you can be optimistic. Yeah, I think so. I was, I mean, I was pretty wiped after um, the 15 K, but now, you know, I had like two easy days in Sweden and then, now in Davos and taking some easy days just to, you know, get, get my feet under me and absorb, get used to the altitude a little bit. And then I'm going to have a pretty good 10 days of training with a lot of intervals and kind of just make like another big push and then try to recover from that. And so, um, even today from yesterday, I'm, my legs feel way better. So, um, I guess we'll start to see with these intervals coming up in the next few, few days, but, um, yeah, really realistically, I'm, I've done so few L4, like, um, it, like on my training log, it says December and January were 0% L4. It didn't, I mean, it's, it's zero point something, but just the way the Excel spreadsheet is, it says 0% L4 yeah. and L4, it's like, just L1 and L3 is what I've done so far. And I guess that, um, it makes sense why I maybe feel a little bit flat because I have that base training, but I haven't really, I'm not used to like the race pace. So, yeah. But that's the kind of thing you can also affect pretty quickly. Like the body responds. Would you say your body responds mm -hmm. quite well in a situation like this to just some intense training? Yeah, for it's sure. Like even, yeah, like often the, the best I'll feel is like five days after U.S. Nationals when I've done four races in a week. Yeah. Um, so here's a tricky question for you. Was there anything that happened in lots of your following that you found to be either fun or, or really funny? I, I think some, if you wouldn't mind thinking about something that you can relate that people might I think people would enjoy hearing about something besides the, the stress and the pressure of doing well, just something that might've happened. Can you think of anything? Uh, Adam said, I'm sitting my, my jumping into the pile in the following crash and like to have, to hear him describe what he saw me do was pretty amusing that for some reason, my reaction would be to just like leap into a pile. So <laughs> I don't know. It seems kind of counterintuitive, but hey, you um, never know. You might get lucky and ski over everyone's yeah, backs like I in the cartoons, you know. <laughs> I know. That's 
I felt like that's what I was going for, but I'm sure my vertical was like a three inch jump, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. All, or just like, you know, some of us have our face shields and some people look like they're doing science experiments with like, like the legitimate, you know, lab goggles, just like, I mean, I feel like now on the airplanes, there's no shame and just, making sure we're trying to be as cautious as possible. But it's pretty funny too. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, well, um, so I'll let we're you having go. a good time. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. Um, I'll let you go get some dinner. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. And uh, I wish you a good good recovery and good training in Davos and good preparation for the, for the upcoming races after that. Again, thanks a lot for doing this. And it was, uh, it was great to visit with you. Thanks. I appreciate it. Sorry about the poor internet connection. No, it's good.